Joshua chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. Joshua chapter 8. But the last two or three weeks, I have enjoyed preaching because, in fact, the Sunday before last, I told you at the end of the service what I was going to preach on last Sunday. Half the battle for me as a preacher is knowing where to be, knowing what I need to preach, where I need to preach from. I know some guys just take a book and preach all the way through it, and I've tried that, and I can do that as far as teaching is concerned, but it's different for me when I preach. I feel like I need to hear from God and for God to put me where he wants me to be. And, um, and, and I had three weeks where it was just easy. I knew what I was going to preach Sunday um, by either the previous Sunday afternoon or that Monday, but I struggled this week. I didn't have a sense of where God wanted me to go. And uh, really was just kind of roaming around, praying and seeking the Lord and pondering some things. And for whatever reason, my, I actually... There was one verse in this whole passage that I was led to in my praying and in my studying. And as I began to look at the passage, um, I couldn't get away from it. And I felt like this is where we needed to be. Joshua is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's a, it, is a, it is a story of victory. It's a story of conquest. It's a, it's a picture of a people that are walking in obedience to God and are conquering all the enemies that stand in their way. But before I read the text, beginning uh, in, in, at the end of Joshua chapter 8, let me set it all into context for you so you can know what's happening here. Y'all remember the first time Israel stood at the gates of the promised land, they got afraid because the enemies there were so intimidating to them, they said there's no way that we can inherit the land that God has promised us. They didn't believe. They were faithless. And so God said, because you lack faith, because ten of you spies brought back an evil report and you discouraged everybody, probably three and a half, four million people that came out of Egypt, because you discouraged the heart of the people, you're not going into the promised land yet. And so he caused them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, where God proved himself over and over to them, by the way. They had to have their faith strengthened. And God proved them in the wilderness by the way that he provided them with water, by the way that he provided them with bread, by the way that he provided them with meat, by the way that he protected them, led them, guided them. In the wilderness, they developed the tabernacle. They developed um, the, 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 the Levitical system of the priesthood, the offering of sacrifices, the taking care of sin. But they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. The Bible says that none of those people that had an opportunity to go into the promised land the first time had an opportunity the second time. They died in the wilderness. Only those children um, um, that were either born in the promised land or were children that 40 years ago um, were able to, to, to go into the promised land. So 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Moses, because of some disobedience on his part, God said, I'm not going to let you, you can see the land from afar, but I'm not going to let you lead the way. And so he put the thing in Joshua's hands. Moses passed along the leadership of the nation to Joshua, they, they, they crossed the Jordan River, which was the entrance to the promised land. They circumcised all of those boys that were born in the wilderness that had not been circumcised. Then they celebrated the feast of the Passover. Um, immediately after that, the manna ceased. They didn't get any more bread from heaven because God said, Now you are in the promised land. It's time for you to move forward in victory. It's time for you to eat the fruit of the land that I've promised to you. Jericho was the first city in the way. I've read some reports that said that the walls of the city of Jericho were wide enough you could race 14 chariots around it, side by side. Huge city. 
first city that stood in their way to the access to the promised land. God said, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I, the angel of the Lord appeared, which I believe was a pre-incarnate Christ, alongside Joshua. Joshua said, you force or against us? He said, that ain't the question. <laughs> he said, are you with me or against me? He's the captain of the Lord's host. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you every day for six days to march around that city one time every day. Don't say a word. Don't utter a sound. Don't raise a sword or a spear. I just want you to march around the city. Every day, six days, one time. On day seven, I want you to march around that city seven times. And on the seventh time around, when the command is given, I want you to shout. And I want the trumpets to sound. And I'm going to give you the victory. The walls of that city fell in. Not out. They fell in. The people of Israel went into the city and spoiled it. Jericho fell with a simple shout of victory. But most of you, if you've read the book of Joshua, you know what happened next. What God told them about Jericho is you can't have any of it. That whole city is devoted to destruction. It's accursed. I don't want, ever be, I don't want it to ever be rebuilt again. And he said, so you can't have any of the spoils of that city. The only thing I want you to do when you go into that city is gather up the gold, the silver, the precious jewels, and I want you to present them to the Lord so that they can be placed in the treasury of the Lord. It was literally the tithe of the promised land. I want you to give the first fruits of what you have to the Lord. And so they, they did that with the exception of one man. And he hid a part of what he had found underneath his tent. Some gold, some silver, some, some garments that were precious. Well, the next city in line was Ai. Joshua sent spies. Joshua told the spies, tell me what you see. And they, they went out and they said, oh, it's just a little, it's a little city. Not a lot of people there. We don't need to send the whole army out to conquer them. Let's just go with about 3,000 men. So those 3,000 men went against the city. You know, they, they're confident. They just saw Jericho fall. They're confident. Those 3,000 men went out. And Ai put a whipping on them. 36 of them died. They came back and told Joshua what had happened, and Joshua said, God, I don't understand this. We have had to turn our backs and run from our enemies in the land that you promised us. Joshua literally fell on his face before God. And I'm paraphrasing, but you can read it for yourself. God said, get up, quit crying. The reason that you got beat is because you, 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 you did not do, there is an accursed thing in your midst. Because somebody didn't do what I said for them to do, you're not going to be victorious until you get that right, until you deal with that sin that's in the camp. We all know the story. They went through the families. They went through the tribes. They went through the families. And it came down to the family of Achan. He finally confessed his sin, brought out those garments. That family, the whole family, because of Achan's sin, that whole family was destroyed. A heap of stones were piled over them. So then, so then God said, now you can go to Ai. Now you can overcome. So they went again and, and obliterated that city, conquered it, overcame. Immediately after that battle, what they should have done was kept marching into the land. What they should have done was kept moving forward. There were a lot of little cities right around Jericho, Ai, Bethel, um, Hebron. There were several cities that were right there. What they should have done was just kept marching, kept marching. I said what they should have done. If they'd been looking at it from a military perspective, um, they should have rode the momentum and, and continued to conquer those cities surrounding Jericho and Ai. But that's not what they did. 
Joshua chapter 8, verse 30 tells us what they did. The Bible said, then Joshua, this is right after the, 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 the last king had been destroyed from Ai. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, over which no man hath lift up any iron. And they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side, the ark, and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well the stranger, as he that was born among them. Half of them over against Mount Gerizim, and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. And this is really the verse that captured my attention when I began to study this passage out, verse 35. There was not a word, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant, those that spoke the language among them. Now, I'm not going to take you back there and read it, but you can go read about some of this in Deuteronomy chapter 28 because this is what Moses told them to do when they entered into the promised land. I'm going to refer to a verse or two there, but I'm I'm not going to go read the whole passage. Let me set the stage for you. Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim were in the heart of the promised land. Literally, if you look at a map... Um, The city of Shechem kind of guarded the valley between those two mountains. But it was in the very center of the promised land that God had committed to give to Abraham his descendants. And so when they conquered Ai, Joshua took those people and led them 30 miles north. Walking, not driving, not bussing, not training, not flying walking them 30 miles north on a a pilgrimage to seek the face of God. Instead of advancing the battle, instead of moving forward to conquer another city, Joshua said, before we go to war, we need to go to worship. And so he paused the conquest and took them to Mount Ebal and Gerizim, as Moses had instructed him, probably several million people still standing between those two mountains. Actually, I think they were probably standing on the sides of those mountains. And in the valley in between, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, the, the, the priest and the Levites surrounding it, and from the sides of those two mountains... Joshua led the people in a, in a massive national church service before they continued the conquest of the promised land. So I'm going to make a couple of statements right here at the beginning, and then you're going to understand everything that I'm going to say from here on out and how it applies, all right? Physical battles to conquer enemies. 
When, when I talk about enemies, the Bible tells us that we have three. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's the reality is that we, have, we really only have three enemies that are working against us. So when we engage ourselves in physical battles to conquer the enemies of the world, the flesh, or the devil himself, we have to begin that battle in the spiritual realm. Our battle, he said, your battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So if we're going to fight physical battles in the world, we've got to do it in a spiritual, we've got to begin at least in a spiritual realm. And, and, and here's how I'm going to summarize all that up. The next, the next quote, the next phrase, consecration to God precedes the conquest of our enemies. We have got to get back to a place where we are wholly consecrated to God over and over again before we can continue. You know, they, they, they realized after AI fell, look, the reason, that we got our, the reason that we got whipped the first time is because we didn't do what God said, because they were sin in the camp, because we didn't hear and heed what God said, and one man brought that defeat upon us, and so they understood immediately it is important that we are, commit, that we are completely consecrated to God or we'll be defeated every time. So before we're going to go forth and conquer our enemies... We've got to consecrate ourselves over and over again to God. So essentially, God led, uh, Joshua led them under the leadership of something that Moses told them in Deuteronomy um, chapter number 28. He, he led them to this place to teach him, this is how we fight our battles. From here on out, this is how we fight our battles. And I think that there are three things from this text and from what Moses said. It's, this is very simple this morning. It's not complicated. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know, which is not my job anyway. My job is to remind you of things that you should know and that should be applied. But the first thing that Joshua did, the first thing that we read when, when he teaches the people how to fight their battles is he built an altar to the Lord. He built an altar to the Lord. What is an altar? An altar, in this case, it was stones that no man had ever laid iron to. It was natural stones. He said, stack those things up and prepare to offer a sacrifice on those stones. But if you look at what an altar is in the Bible, an altar is a place of prayer. An altar is a place of repentance where people realize we've done wrong in the sight of God and we come to this place and we build an altar to acknowledge that we've done wrong in the sight of God. An altar is a place where you, where you build and give thanksgiving to God for what He has just done. And I think the altar that Joshua is building is doing all these things. They're praying, they're repenting, they're, 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 they're offering peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings. They're sacrificing there. But you can summarize an altar, you can summarize all of those things about an altar just by saying one thing about it. An altar is a place of communion. An altar is a place where the people of God meet with their God. It is a place where the people of God give to God and receive from God. It's a place where God gives to His people and receives from His people. So an altar is a place of communion. We give, we receive to the Lord and from the Lord. And here's what I mean by that. We, we build an altar and we trade sorrow for joy. 
We come to an altar broken and we leave an altar healed. We come to an altar with sin in our life. We leave an altar forgiven. We come to an altar weak and we leave the altar strong. We bring our failures and He gives us victories. That's what an altar is for. Joshua brought the people to an altar, a place of communion. I think also you can say this, if you, and if you trace altars through the Scripture, I think you'll find this, altars were turning points. An altar was a place of transition. And we just talked about some of those, some of the trading of one thing for another thing. So an altar represents a turning point. That's all repentance is. It's a turning away from one thing and a turning to another thing. And so I want to tell you folks, we've got to have altars in our life. We have got to have places in our life, not to sacrifice sheep and goats. That's the, the, the final sacrifice for sin has been made once and for all in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to lay any sheep down on an altar. We don't have to lay a goat down on an altar. But we need to come back over and over and over and over again and lay ourselves on an altar before the Lord God and say, I need you to take this from me and give this to me. We need altars so that we can commune with God. Now, you can build an altar anywhere you want to build an altar. I can tell you some of the altars that I've had in my life have been at the side of my bed at home. They've been here in this church house. I've laid prostrate in the floor in front of this. I love the fact that when I lay prostrate in front of that that there's a cross on the communion table there's a cross that I preach in and there's a cross behind me I just love the fact that I can lay myself at the feet of my Savior and everywhere that I look ahead I see a cross because that's where God demonstrated His love for me His care for me uh, the power to, to give me salvation and strength to overcome sin I've been, I've made altars in the middle of the woods. I've climbed down from a deer stand and went and got up next to an old cypress stump in the middle of the woods and made an altar unto the Lord where I confessed my sins, where I traded my sorrows for joy, and where I asked Him to take away my weakness and make me strong. You can make an altar anywhere out of anything as long as you put God at the center of it and you lay yourself down on it we got to have altars. I'll tell you parents, if you ain't got an altar in your home, you need to build you one. I can't tell you the number of times I looked in the cracked open door of my parents' bedroom and saw them kneeling at the side of their bed praying. The number of times that my dad gathered us up as children in the living room of the house with an old brown leather couch and laid our family on an altar before the Lord and asked Him for help, strength, guidance, grace. It's in that place that we're going to find our joy. It's in that place that we're going to find our forgiveness. It's in that place that we're going to find our strength. It's in that place that we're going to get victory over the enemy. We've got to build altars. And here's, here's the truth. I, we need turning points in our life over and over and over and over again. Amen. I need turning points to come frequently in my life because it's easy for me. It's easy for me to get off track. It's easy for me to turn to the left hand or turn to the right hand to get off of my, 
my, my principal purpose. It's easy for me um, to, make idol, to make idols of things of this world. And so I need, I, I need frequent places in my life where I can turn back to God, where I can turn back to my purpose um, um, to live for God, where I, can, where I can turn around and get right with God. This is how we fight our battles. We build an altar to the Lord. The second thing, that we recall the words of the Lord. I think I told you Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's actually 27. 28 is where the blessings and the cursings begin that were read aloud before the children of Israel. But if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 27, there, there, was, there was actually two piles of stones. There was one pile of stones that was the altar. But there was another pile of stones that Moses said, I want you to get these stones and I want you to, to plaster them. I want you to paint these stones white. And on those stones, I want you to write the words of God. I want you to write them all. Now, at this particular time in Israel's history, there were only five books in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I think you'll find that, that Deuteronomy and Leviticus actually constitute more of the law the other books are more historical, but they do confirm the covenants that God made and show God's hand at work in Israel. And so I'm not going to tell you that, that, that Joshua wrote all five books on stones, but I believe at the very least he wrote Leviticus, probably Deuteronomy, on those stones. Moses said, take these stones, plaster them white, and then write the word of God, write the law on the stones. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 8, he told them to make it plain. So I think um, that he, 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 want, he said, I want you to write this in such a way that people can easily see what it says. I don't want you to write it so small that they can't read it. I don't want you to write it in a language that they don't understand. I want you to write it on these stones so that the people know what is expected of them, so they can know what thus saith the Lord. And, uh, and listen... I think that they all needed to be reminded over and over and over again of what God said. And, and you can generally lump all God said into, as, as far as the law is concerned, these are my commands, and these are my promises. And, 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 and in relation to that, what he told them was, if you keep my commands, you're going to be blessed. But if you don't keep my commands, you're going to be cursed. So there's the commands and the promises. And those promises included not just promises of blessing, but promises of if you don't do this, you're going to get in trouble. Because the consequence of sin is always awful. The wages of sin is always death. So Joshua did exactly what Moses told him to do. He, he, he wrote the Word of God on these stones. Then he read all of it. Now y'all accuse me of being long-winded. Sometimes I am. But the Bible said, the Bible said that, I just try to ignore Matt most of the time, to be honest with you. See there? Everybody was telling me the other day, you didn't see Matt by here doing that? And I'm like, yeah, but I ignored him. Joshua wrote it all on the stones, and now he said, all of you, man, woman, child, stranger, I want you to hear what God said. 
there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua read not before the children. Everybody there needed to hear it. All of God's word to all of God's people. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, this is what God said. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no more priest to me. Seeing thou hast forsaken the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They rejected the knowledge of God that is recorded in his word. Now listen to me, folks. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be overly harsh. Um, I, I saw a young man, I got actually tagged in a post on Facebook a few weeks ago where a young man was reaching out. Like, look, I, I, gotta have, I, got to, I gotta do something different with my life. I, didn't, I don't know the young man, never met him personally, but somebody tagged me in the post. He's like, I need to know how to get right with God. There's a pile of people commented. Pile of people. It became real obvious to me that a lot of them that were commenting were not Christians. What bothered me the most is out of the 30 comments that were already posted, not one of them posted a passage of Scripture. Not one. It was all, yeah, you, God will take you anywhere. Any, I mean, I, some, of what they, some of what they were saying was true, but it was their words. It was not God's word. And I'll tell you something. I'm going to always point you to what God said before I point you to what I think God said. I'm just, this is what God said. Now, let me, I can interpret that for you, but this is what he said. Sometimes things get lost in the interpretation, don't you know? Joshua said, I got you... I, God gave it to Moses, I'm going to give it to you. All of it. For all of you. When I responded to the young man, I gave him the Romans road to salvation. Romans 3.10, Romans, I quoted him the, the, the word of God. This is what you need to know because this is what God said. You've got to get rooted and anchored in the word of God, not in the opinions of man. And so Israel's whole success in the conquest, if they were going to get what God wanted them to have, they were going to have to stay connected to God's promises and His commands. If you want the promised land, then you've got to walk in obedience. If you, if you want what I have to give you, um, then you have to hear my word. And, and that's, our, that's our route to success too. We're not going to be victorious if we, if we drift from the word. We need to read it. We need to understand it. We need to believe it. And then the last point is this. Submit your ways to the Lord. Now, here, here's the instructions. I told you this ain't complicated. This is stuff I preach every week in a different way, in different format. But build an altar to the Lord. Recall what God said. Keep bringing it back. The more you read it, the more you recall it. I stand up here sometimes and quote scriptures. I'm thinking, whoa, where'd that come from? Because I didn't try to memorize it. I'm, I'm horrible at memorizing stuff. But I will tell you this, if you read it enough, and you write it out enough, 
Because I don't copy and paste when I write my sermons. I write it out. And if you read it enough and you write it enough and you recall it enough, you'll be surprised what will stick in your heart and in your mind when you need it the most. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, Moses said, write, write the Word of God on these stones. And then you read it. And when you read, when you read the commands and the blessings, I want all the people on this mountain to say, Amen. Not a woman, Amen. And, and when I read that, if you walk in disobedience, you're going to get the curse. I want all the people on this mountain to say, Amen. And what Moses said is, I want you to stand all the people on these two mountains, and I want you to read the Word of God in the middle of them. And when it says, if you do this, I'm going to bless you, I want you to say, Amen. And if you don't do this, I'm going to curse you, and all of you are going to say, Amen. And you know what they're saying. God, you're right. You're right in everything that you say. We agree with everything you say. We agree that if we walk in obedience, that you'll bless us. We agree that if we walk in disobedience, we deserve to be cursed. What they were saying to God is, Amen, we agree, you're just, you're good, and we submit ourselves to you. That's what, that's what Amen means. Yeah, let me put myself under that word in complete submission. That defeated Ai that was still fresh on their minds was a direct result of them not doing what God told them to do and they got cursed for it. You can't do wrong. You can't do wrong and win. You can't do wrong and get by. You can't do wrong and defeat the enemy. We got to know what God said and we got to submit to what God said. He did not leave us to find our own way. He left us to walk in His. Amen. You know, you know, we we get out we get out there sometimes. I'm, I, this is what I this is what I want to do. This is what I think I need to do. No, we need to know what God said. Then we need to submit to what God said. Israel's conquest of Canaan. And listen very carefully, because I believe this was on my heart. Israel's conquest of Canaan, in this recorded in the book of Joshua, is a picture of the life that Christ promised us in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I believe that the, that the picture that Joshua paints for us is, this is what a victorious Christian life looks like. If you're going to get there, if you're going to inherit what God wants you to inherit, you've got to build some altars along the way. If you're going to have everything God wants you to have in Christ, you're going to have to recall the Word of God over and over and over and over again. And then after you recall it, you're going to have to say amen to it. And submit yourself. We can only win if we're walking in His ways, not ours. So I'm done, but let me, let me just nail it down one more time. What Joshua did between those two mountains is what we got to do in our heart. It's what we got to do in our home. It's what we got to do in our church. It, it, we got to keep coming back to it over and over and over and over again because that's how we fight our battles. That's how we win 
our battles. There's no victory without it. There's no abundant life without it. There's no freedom without it. There's no salvation without it. There's no hope without it. We've got to keep doing those things in order to be victorious. So, let me ask you three questions in closing. Does the world ever woo you away? Do you ever just get... You know, when I think about the world... Um, It's easy for us to fall to the idolatries of the world. Does the world ever try to just pull you away? Woo you away? It does me. When it does, I gotta build an altar. When it does, I gotta I gotta remember what God said that. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's not of God. And those that pursue those things are going to perish. Does your flesh ever fail you? I mean, when I think about the flesh, I think about the things that we see, the things that we hear, the things that we feel. Did your flesh ever fail you and you just and you pursue it? You feed it? Then you feel miserable afterwards. Build an altar. Know what God said. And submit to it. Is the devil deceiving you? He got a lot of folks deceived today. You know how we're gonna win? Build an altar. Recall what God said. Submit ourselves to it. Um, I've been with some folks this week that have done exactly that. Reached the crossroads and said, you know what? Something's got to change. Let's start here. Then let's go here. Then let's take it out there. The promised land lies before us. If you read the end of the book, it said that not one thing that God promised them failed. Not one thing that God promised them failed. It started right there in Joshua chapter 8. That's where we got to start. Let's stand as our musicians come. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the liberty that you gave me to preach your word. I was scared to death when I stood up here this morning and I wasn't on the same page that you were. I struggled this week. And the enemy piled up a bunch of stuff on me at the last minute and made me even more concerned. And I remember Friday afternoon building me an altar.
calling what you said and just saying, all right, I'm submitting to it and I'm going to do what I think you're telling me to do here. And um, I'm, I'm just grateful, Lord. I, I've, whether anybody else in this building received anything this morning, I feel victorious. Because I've done what you said for me to do, and that's a good feeling. I don't know what folks are battling here. Maybe there's some folks that really are struggling with some worldly ideas, some worldly ways, some worldly ambitions. They've idolatried, they've, they've made idols out of some things. They've put some things before you, and you won't have that. Maybe there's some that are indulging the flesh, feeding an appetite that won't ever get full. And maybe there's some folks here that's been running hard from the devil and they have, they, every time they turn around, it, he, he comes again and again and again. I just pray this morning that you take them to that place like Joshua took your people and they'd walk out of here victorious. If there's anybody here, I don't know the hearts of all these folks, but if there's anybody here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, if they've never bowed their heart and trusted Him, laid their life down on an altar before Him, this is a good opportunity for them to do that. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them and bring them to an altar of faith and repentance. Anything that you do, God, right now, We'll give you the glory for it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.